when it comes to waste management, we have an industry that um, has existed probably since civilization existed in some form or another. Um, but as long as it's functioning, it's invisible. Um, and functioning doesn't mean efficient. It doesn't mean environmentally or socially responsible. It just means that things move from point A to point B. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Series 4 of the Climate Pioneers Show. This is a show where we speak to the innovators, the change makers, and the enablers that are driving forward the climate industry. Now we're back for Series 4, which is our first US-focused series, featuring the stories of climate tech innovators on the East Coast of the US. We're going to learn about the important work that they're all doing to combat the climate crisis, and we're going to dig into what inspired them to take action in the first place. We're going to learn about the challenges that they faced in those first few years as a founder. But most importantly, we're going to get their tips. We're going to get tips on the communities and organisations that have supported them along the way, the books and the podcasts that they would recommend, and the productivity hacks that they use to manage their workload. So let's get stuck in. This week, I am delighted to be joined by Meredith Danberg Ficarelli, co-founder and CEO of Watts. Back in 2021, Meredith and her co-founder, Laura, founded Watts to digitize the world of business waste management and bring it kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Meredith's worked in waste management and reduction in one form or another for over 10 years now, whether that be helping restaurants to reduce their waste through to leading a waste-focused consulting startup and currently as board member of the US Composting Council. I'm really looking forward to hearing all about her journey and her mission to modernize and improve waste management. So Meredith, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Terry, thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. <laughs> and and thank you. We were just talking before we went live about the fact that it's 8 a.m. for you now and you are <laughs> seriously under-caffeinated. So thank <laughs> you. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that in half an hour. <laughs> exactly. Sorry um, about so the time management. <laughs> caffeine. That's the only tip. Productivity hack. Caffeine. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've given a bit of an intro as, as to what's, um, what Watts does, um, but talk me through the problem space that you're in, why your solution is so important and, and what it is yourself and Laura are working on. Sure. Uh, climate change is at the center. Um, uh, we'll get into this later, but an, an obsession with food waste is really what brought us to this space. Um, but for businesses today, uh, there's kind of this intersecting um, set of problems that, that kind of um, push and pull depending on um, what's important to that business. Obviously, cost reduction, you have as a, as a really big one, regulatory change. Um, and then you have kind of social pressure, this idea of um, whether it's individuals demanding accountability from businesses um, or environmental social governance, uh, social governance kind of requirements for reporting, all of these things intersect when it comes to waste management. We have an industry that um, has existed probably since civilization existed in some form or another. Um, but as long as it's functioning, it's invisible. Um, and functioning doesn't mean efficient. It doesn't mean environmentally or socially responsible. It just means that things move from point A to point B. And where we've seen um, massive evolution, and especially if we speak about the United States, massive recent investment in energy reduction infrastructure um, and kind of, kind of moving towards a renewable 
future. Um, we haven't seen the same thing with waste management, but businesses and individuals recognize that. Um, I think also a personal perspective here is that um, as a result of COVID and people being locked at home with all of their trash, people have a new perspective on how much waste they generate. Um, before they could bring it outside really quickly, they could toss stuff um, on the way to work. There was a trash can wherever they went. Um, for a while, the only place they went was home. Um, and so all of these things come together. Um, and what Watts is doing is helping businesses uh, reduce waste using um, data and our experience um, in a software as a service platform. Amazing. Cool. And and you're right. I think I think we are becoming or did throughout COVID become more and more aware of how much waste we accumulate. And I think times like holiday season and Christmas make that particularly pertinent, where perhaps your like waste collection doesn't come at the same time as normal and you physically see it stacking up mm-hmm. outside the front of the house. And it yeah, it it becomes ever more present. You're right, when it's working, it's largely invisible. Yeah. 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 And, you know, making it work efficiently is still the goal um, and reducing, ideally reducing costs is still part of the goal. Um, But it's what we're really looking towards is the value of individual materials. So in the holidays, there's a lot of cardboard, but so many things are theoretically reusable, recyclable, repairable. But we don't have access to the systems or the services or the infrastructure. Maybe it doesn't exist yet to be able to do that. And we're building software that engages with an evolving economy. Um, because these things are changing very rapidly. And so is the platform designed as much to perhaps reduce the amount of waste that a business produces and then take the waste that it is producing and make sure that those waste streams are put into the right places to maximize or to drive more of a circular economy? That's exactly right. And the, you you mentioned kind of two things. There's a first thing before that, um, um, which is just setting the foundation Um, digitizing the operations um, of how waste moves through a building, uh, who all the stakeholders are, what those waste streams are, trash, recycling, compost, cardboard, whatever it is, but all the way into these much more individualized streams like, um, you know, light bulbs with mercury in them. Or um, if it's a if it's a residential building, mattresses are a specialty waste stream Um, and recognizing that it's important to categorize each of these materials so that you can have um, procedures that your teams can follow to stay safe or to have make sure that these materials end up in the right place for collection. Um, and then obviously that those materials make their way through a materials ecosystem where they mm-hmm. can be either deconstructed or processed in, in the way that is best for them, depending on their components. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and where did the passion for climate and sustainability come from? You said all this kind of comes from a real kind of bugbear around food waste. Was that was that the kind of the seed of where it came from? Or was there a broader interest in climate that preceded that? What what, what was the journey there? Yeah, when I was in grad school, um, I, I went to the new school in New York, my master's degree is in urban policy and sustainability management. And I got very lucky. Um, I traveled to Beirut in Lebanon for the summer of 2011 with a few other students Uh, My amazing professor, Adriana Young, said that I should work with this particular organization, Farm to Table Restaurant and Farmer's Market, um, Farmer's Market first, Farm to Table Restaurant second. It's called Su El Tayyib, which means good market, the good market. Um, And they they have this farm to table restaurant and had always like wanted to be zero waste, but didn't know how um, and figured, you know, they could probably compost a lot of their waste, but... Um, 
one of the friends of the organization ran a compost facility nearby. There were like a lot of stars aligning. Um, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll try to figure out what a waste audit is. I'll try to help you all do this. Um, and that was really the start. There's obviously much more to it, but um, I started to learn a lot more about how much food is, 40% of what we grow in the United States never makes it to a plate. Um, it's it wasted kind of throughout the supply chain. 80% of that waste happens in businesses and homes. Um, I could talk about food waste forever, obviously. Mm -hmm. I do think that um, reflecting over this last decade plus, um, I think that a few other pieces kind of built that foundation of what led to this obsession with trash. Um, I, my mother is from an island. My summers as a kid were always spent very close to the ocean. Um, and in that place, uh, one of my favorite things to do was to go with my grandfather or my dad or my brothers and my mom to, to the dump um, where we would separate all of our materials, green glass, brown glass, you know, newspaper, mixed paper, cardboard. Um, we weren't composting food at that point, but we were composting all the yard waste and the gardening, all that stuff. Um, so I think some of the elements of what I do now have been kind of foundational pieces of, of like my, my core. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what we're focused on. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And, and then where did that entrepreneurial element come into it? Right. Because to have a passion for the problem space and the issue that you've kind of seen and, you know, tackled at various stages through, throughout, throughout your kind of early career, where did that then crystallize into, and I'm going to do something about this? Maybe part of it is um, an, an underlying need to just um, constantly be anxious about something. Um, <laughs> no, um, when I was in uh, when I was in Lebanon, um, I actually met my now husband there. Um, I ended up going back after that summer and spent uh, about fifteen months um, launching and running a small nonprofit organization. Uh, so that was kind of the beginning of what I would consider my entrepreneurial journey. I mean, the like lemonade stand when I was 12 probably doesn't count. Um, <laughs> and that didn't work. That that small nonprofit organization didn't work. The the timing, the chronological luck, if you'll say, was was off, you know, focusing on um, organic waste and waste management, recycling at a time when there was an increasing refugee crisis, um, lots of other issues going on. Um, we didn't have the timing quite right. A few years later, uh, there was a crisis and people started calling us, but I had already moved back to New York. Um, but I think I think part of it was really seeing the breadth of the problem and meeting so many amazing people who were trying to do their own piece of solving a part of the problem and 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 seeing a piece, uh, you know, a, a puzzle piece um, that I felt both matched my passion and was something that I saw a way through. Um, and meeting other people. Um, I haven't done any of this alone. Uh, so I think that's been a big part of it too. Yeah. And and where did you meet Laura? Uh, we actually first met um, when I was in grad school and we didn't really get to know each other then. Um, she was taking a continuing education course and we happened to have sat next to each other um, during this like sustainability 101 class. And it was a few years later um, after I had come back from Lebanon and was working at the Lower East Side Ecology Center here in, in New York, um, I was running uh, a sustainability consulting internship program and would bring the interns to different experts 
um, and my predecessor had like passed down this relationship with this waste lady in New York. Um, and we went in, you know, went in the room and I was like, oh, what's she really going to know about trash? You know, I was like already completely obsessed, but didn't know as much about the New York ecosystem because I had been um, out of the city. And we re-met. She was like, I swear, I know you from somewhere. Like where, and she's really good at like playing that name game. Um, you know, oh, I took a class at the new school. And we're like, oh yeah, we sat next to each other. Um, <laughs> so we stayed in touch and she had just founded Common Ground Compost, um, which is a zero waste services business based here in New York City, still exists, still doing excellent work. Um, they also run Reclaimed Organics, which is a bicycle powered compost pickup service um, in Manhattan. Uh, so I uh, joined her team, then took over running that company for her in the summer of 2017. Um, and then we've kind of been working in parallel or collaborating um, side projects, um, you know, ever since really. And the first ideas for Watts started to pop up like 2018, 2019. And then we, you know, it's been crescendoing um, until uh, she left her other job and started working full time on Watts in 2021. Um, and I, uh, I left that other company's leadership and joined Watts full time in the summer of 2022. Fantastic. So you've been both of you full time on this for a year and a half? Yeah. Yeah. Laura for a little longer. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. And how much has that because you were doing consulting, you were doing consulting work prior? That's right. Yeah. And And how much has the what you learned through that consulting time informed the business strategy and the direction for the platform since you joined Watts? Um, I mean, hugely. What we learned as as waste consultants, um, the U.S. Green Building Council has a, a certification for zero waste um, advisors called True um, Total Resource Use. Uh, anyway, uh, th- there's an there's an approach that. Um, both the true advisor program takes, but also all of the zero waste people, all the trash people that we know, um, have a similar approach to doing this work. You have to you have to assess the baseline, and then you have to kind of figure out what the next steps are based on the budget and the need and all these different things common for consulting, regardless of what you're focused on. Um, and the challenge that we kept facing as consultants was this lack of digital infrastructure, the lack of centralization of information. Um, when you're working with a business that has lots of sites, um, especially across different geographies, because waste infrastructure um, is localized. It's based on, or rather I should say, um, waste regulations um, are localized because they're based on infrastructure, which is also localized. So what you can recycle here in um, New York City is different than what you can recycle just over the Hudson River in New Jersey, for example, mm-hmm. even though people, you know, are commute back and forth. Um, and so as consultants, we just, we kept feeling this need for better digital tools to be able to deliver the services that we were delivering to our businesses. Um, and we initially started building, Laura's sister initially started building some low code modules for us to use as consultants. And then we realized years ago, like this is so much more than us just building a tool for ourselves to do our work more efficiently. This is a product that businesses need to be able to use so that they can do their work and be empowered to do more work at much larger scale and have a much greater impact. And that's a huge research and data challenge, right, as a business, because as you just said there, in different areas and different geographies and territories, there are different things that can be recycled in different ways. That must be a massive challenge for you in terms of building this out. Are you going at it location by location? Because being able to know what can be recycled where is, is a, yeah, 
a huge yeah, problem. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun challenge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so another kind of intersecting web, um, regulatory change is impacting this um, yeah. very slowly, recognizing mm. that things change slowly there. Um, but we're starting to see, for example, um, food waste from landfill bans. So the requirement that people start composting. Um, so we are starting to see some um, reorganization um, and some recognition that 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 what goes where, if you will, does need to change. Um, but truthfully, uh, there's more to build than we are able to build ourselves, um, nor do we want to rebuild things that other people are already working on. Um, one of the things that I love most about the way Laura, my co-founder, and I work together is that we both deeply value not reinventing the wheel. This idea that partnering or working with another entity um, or learning from someone else is probably going to be more efficient than trying to do it yourself. Um, and so we're not, just to quickly answer your question in a less long-winded fashion, uh, we're not focused right now on mapping the regulatory environment, but there are other folks that are doing that. Um, and because of this regulatory change that happened, that is happening, uh, it's complex and it's constantly changing. But that is something that we're going to have to tackle pretty soon, um, formalizing kind of how how we integrate that. Um, you know, I've just opened uh, a food business chain across the country. How many of my locations are required to compost? And what's the fine if I don't? And what is acceptable in that system? Who are the vendors that can provide those services? How much do they cost? What infrastructure do I need to use? These are the kinds of elements that we're digitizing so that um, a business can have an automated waste management plan wherever they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really crucial, that point about not reinventing the wheel and, and acknowledging the fact that there are people solving different parts of this puzzle and, and doing it really well. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel and steal their business for the sake of it, we can all move faster if we collaborate and plug each other's solutions yeah. in together. And I think also if you're trying to change, create huge systemic change and disrupt processes that have been operating in a certain way for decades and decades, then to make that happen quickly, you're right, you do have to yeah. kind of pull pull together all the solutions to make it happen and quickly. We have, a, we have an advisor, if this was almost a year ago now, who encouraged us at one point, we were talking about the potential relationships that we can build with other waste experts who can become users of the platform um, as a, in a partnership model where they can use the product that we've built with them in mind and they can do their work more efficiently and they can deliver better services. Um, and one of our advisors was like, oh yeah, you know, cannibalize them. And we're like, no, that's not what it's about. It's a, it's about delivering tools so that we can scale faster and make everyone's work more efficient. He was like, yeah. huh, I guess you're right. And he reflected on it. And it, by the end of the meeting, we'd gone on a lot of different top topics. And by the end of the meeting, he was like, you know, I just realized like, that's one of these foundational, like you're women, I'm a man things. Mm -hmm. He's like, Wow, I get it now. <laughs> happy, to, happy to teach you. Lesson yeah. learned. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Um, and, and what have been, would you say, kind of the biggest challenges that you've faced over this last kind of 18 months, two years of, of, of getting this off the ground? One of the biggest, the earliest challenges in formalizing Watts um, was the decision to move down a venture capital funded route. Um, Laura and I, in doing our work, um, never had a huge budget, but generally we're bootstrapping the operation, small businesses. Um, but, but 
have a kind of a foundational challenge with this question of the way our economy functions mm -hmm. and whether it is the best way forward. Um, and what uh, we were accepted into a startup accelerator in the summer of 2022 um, and had to make this call. Like we had 18 hours to make a decision. Do we sign the paper? Or do we not sign the paper? $100,000 summertime program on the Entrepreneurs Roundtable Accelerator based in uh, here in New York. Um, and what we said to each other was, look, what was the reason that we decided to create software in the first place? Uh, scale. Scale was the point, right? Uh, solving a massive problem um, with this vision that we see for making it much more efficient, functional, um, you know, systematic, et cetera. Uh, and we took that one step further. How do you build software quickly um, and with the support that we need as non-technical non founders? Neither of us are engineers. Um, we knew that there were so many things that we didn't know. Um, and we recognized that, yes, there are other avenues, but we want to do this right now. And there's literally a piece of paper sitting on the table for us to sign to be able to move forward. Even if we don't know enough about it to feel fully comfortable, we did it anyway. Uh, it was the right decision for sure. Um, but making some of those calls um, and and kind of having this um, having this two person team um, that is now we have an eight person team um, plus two kind of fractional folks. Um, uh, decision decision making has been uh, an ongoing challenge for lots of different reasons, but that's, a, I think, a pretty solid example. Yeah, that's a great example. I like that. And you're right where your perhaps own personal thesis about what's right and what's wrong and <laughs> versus what needs to be done to impact change at scale is, yeah, is, is always right. going to be a slight clash, right? But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so today, where are you at? So you say you're eight people now. How, how does that kind of roughly break down? Yeah. Um, our newest person just joined two weeks ago. Um, she is our lead product uh, manager. Uh, we're thrilled to have um, mm -hmm. a product manager now. We've been working with um, a fractional person uh, for a while. We have four full stack engineers, um, myself and Laura as two co-founders. Um, and William um, is our, our data and systems person. Um, he... Uh, has been with us for a number of years, was with Common Ground Compost, actually came to us as a biophysicist who was interested in picking up food scraps by bicycle um, right years ago. And we've just kind of like kept assigning him new things as we've recognized how much brilliance there is. Um, so it's been really exciting to build the team and, uh, you know, kind of absorb the, the knowledge and the awareness um, and the interest from all of the um, the people that we're working with. Um, we also have a, a fractional QA person um, and a fractional designer. Amazing. And you finished yeah. ERA? Was that summer yes, 2020? Yes, that was a summer 2022. Mm -hmm. summer 22. So we finished it in September of 2022. And that's when we launched our MVP. And um, it was when our the first customer joined the platform. Amazing. And how, how many customers do you have now? Um, as of yesterday, <laughs> we officially have uh, five signed customers. Um, so we're still pretty early. Uh, we have about um, seven or eight customers whose data is in the platform. Um, a few more than that, that we're kind of testing with. Um, and, you know, our goal here in terms of sales um, is to reach somewhere in the between $250,000 and $350,000 in annual recurring revenue probably early next year um, before we start to raise uh, a next round, a seed, a seed round. Amazing. So plans for next year then are bringing more customers onto the platform, getting the revenue up and then going for a seed 
Rice. That's right. Growing, growing the team, assuming we uh, lock that in, um, adding probably two or three more engineers um, early to mid next year. That's exciting. And, and you mentioned a little bit there about regulatory change mm-hmm. um, and that slowly that's going in the right direction. How that's positive right. are you feeling? And I appreciate nobody has a crystal ball for how things are going to go politically next year. But yeah. how positive are you feeling around that regu- the, the inertia behind regulatory change and that going in the right direction to incentivize customers to use a solution like yours? Yeah. Um, like you said, it's kind of a it's a long game. Um what I'm learning from reading as much news as I can find time for, which is not a lot, um, and sitting on the, as you mentioned in the intro, the board of directors of the U.S. Composting Council, among just like other knowing trash people things, um, waste is one of the few things, recycling, um, waste production, waste management, one of the few things that it seems like Congress might actually be agreeing on, that like it's important. Um Granted, the the way things function in the U.S. right now is that the the East Coast and the West Coast um, kind of have the most progressive and and most forward looking um, regulations. Uh, they also have the greatest pressure on land use. Um, so from a density perspective, um, it's harder to it's more expensive to landfill waste um, than elsewhere in the country. So that is definitely an important factor here. Um, extended producer responsibility rules um, and regulations they've passed in Canada, they've already passed in Europe. It's this idea that companies that make products have to pay into a system to be able to recover and recycle the materials. So hard to recycle plastic packaging, that kind of thing. Um, that that regulatory change is, is coming. Um, it's something that is moving slowly, but state by state um, or composting regulations, of course. Uh, but also those same pressures that I mentioned at the very beginning that are impacting um, why we've built lots and why businesses are looking for us. Um, these factors about regulatory change and kind of um, corporate requirements and, and social pressure, um, these same things are impacting and, and I think are a part of um, how uh, it, how individuals are, are looking at what they want to be able to do with their trash. Um, mm-hmm. And there's frustration and people are contacting companies saying you need to do better. Companies are then contacting governments and saying, mm-hmm. you need to make me do better. So there's a lot of communication happening that hasn't been going on um, before. And I, and so, definitely, yeah. I mean, having seen recently with the kind of changes and due to the budget cuts, the the rolling back, the removal of the community composting yeah. in New York and the frustration that I've definitely heard and felt in various WhatsApp groups that I'm part of around those changes is are things like that kind of driving individuals to put that pressure. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing up community composting. I blame the lack of caffeination for not having said anything. So I'm sorry, New York City community composters. Um, if if anyone wants to go to grownyc.org, um, there's a petition. Any New York City resident, please sign the petition. But the short version is that um, the, the mayor's budget has defunded um, all of New York City's community composting budgets. Um, composting uh, will still exist in the city, but not in the same form. Um, it's, it's actually anaerobic digestion. There, this is like its own 20 hour long conversation. But the short version is that um, community composting has existed for decades. It is an incredible mechanism to engage with people. I was just telling a story last night at our um, team dinner that on January 6, 2021, the crazy day that happened here in the United States with you know, people scaling the walls of the Capitol building. Um, I I spent with William and some of the rest of our team 
an average COVID Wednesday um, uptown on the Upper West Side at our um, pop-up compost drop-off um, because people had lost access to composting in the first round of Save Our Compost New York City because COVID budget cuts had led to cuts in community composting budgets. And people came to the compost drop-off with their food scraps in their masks and they said, um, you know, life is already crazy enough. Like you have already been one way that I've been able to like be around people outside and be safe during the pandemic. And then today with this shit that's happening, um, I just needed a little bit of normalcy and bringing my food scraps to you has done that for me. And it's being defunded again. And we can't, we can't do that. We, it's such an important community building opportunity, educational opportunity. Um, our soils need the value of locally composted organic material because it's higher in value. It has more nutrients. There's more biodiversity. Um, there's so many reasons that this matters. And um, I understand that progress also matters, but there are ways that we can do both of these things together. Exactly that. And so just give us that address to sign the petition again for anyone that's listening. Yeah, grownyc.org. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, so we always round these episodes out with three quick fire questions. So the first one being a recommendation for any people based resource, community or organization that's helped you along the way so far that you would recommend. Community composting. Perfect. For sure. Love it. Google it in your in your community. <laughs> And the second being a media-based resource. So a book, podcast, TED Talk, documentary, whatever it may be yeah. that's been valuable and, and taught you something along the way. Um, the Ologies podcast. Uh, it's, it, you can find it on Spotify. It's just so interesting. And it's it's not a business resource. It's just awesome. So the Ologies, not the Yeah, Ologies. like, yeah, the <laughs> Ologies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cool. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, and then the final one being a productivity tip. So that can be anything. It could be a tool or whatever, caffeine, uh, yeah, but something that, something that helps you manage your workload and helps you somehow get a, a semblance of good work-life balance as a founder. Uh, paper notebook, color coding lists. Um, but also right before we hopped on, I silenced my notifications. That's a big one. Yeah. Do you know that is, my phone is always on silent. But still, I think just seeing the little, the pervasive little red number in the corner mm -hmm. of apps, those push notifications, that's stressful enough, isn't it? I think. And for me, like turning off the notification, which I actually don't do that often, but um, turning notifications completely off, like it flips a switch in my brain where it helps me not even want to look at my phone because I know there's nothing there. Um, like airplane mode. It, yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, just like the sleep, sleep mode. Um, yeah. yeah. I never use that. I might try it. Try it. But you're right. I read um, Indistractable. I'm just looking up my bookshelf now to try and remember. Oh, yeah. Indistractable by Nir Eyal. And that was yeah. really good. And that's, it's made me really aware of my default that if I'm doing a task or I'm doing something that's really challenging, over challenging or mundane, your brain craves that dopamine hit. And I'll go to pick my phone up and check yeah. in or look at something and it's it's so interesting that just having read that book makes me stop for a second to go I know what I'm doing I know why I need doing. to do that I'm doing it to silly little drink water me. instead yeah <laughs> what I'm doing is boring me yeah. um but it's just being aware of that is enough to make you go God, it's so silly and you put it mm -hmm. down again and mm -hmm. but yeah I focus time or sleep mode is a is a good one yeah good yeah one. well Meredith thank you so much uh for joining me at 
what is very early in the morning still for you. <laughs> um, I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for being so generous with your time, your knowledge and, and your experience and, and sharing all of that with us. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to go get some coffee now. <laughs> thank you everybody that's joined us and listened, whether you're listening live today or whether you're listening on catch up. Um, I really appreciate it. We've got a few more episodes coming to you. In fact, we've got one tomorrow um, back at our usual time. Um, so please come back and join us then where we're going to be joined by Chris from Matcha Electric. Um, so Say hi thanks. for me. Oh, I was, you know, it was him who recommended that I should give you a call. So yeah. it's all full circle. Um, but thanks again to Meredith. Thanks again to everyone listening and hopefully see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.